Blog Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, it's your girl, Cy Brown. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and checking me out this morning on the Cy Brown Morning Show. We have a great program scheduled for you today. I have a wonderful talk by Mr. Tony Robbins, who is considered widely viewed as the father, the grandfather, the the big kahuna of life coaching, and it's called The Secrets of Power Negotiating. So I'm really excited to bring that talk to you. In the meantime, don't forget to join us tomorrow. We have real estate expert Carl Agard, who will be joining us, sharing some real estate tips. And then on Thursday, I have Nicole B. Simpson joining us, who has a new book out called Dare to Dream. So Nicole is a dear friend of mine, and I was a co-host on her show, The Power of Gospel, in the New York City area. So we just have some great things happening over here on the Side Brown Morning Show. Also, oh, I've got so much to share with everybody. Also, this Friday, we'll be hanging out at the New Jersey Nets game. So if you're in the New York City area, come hang out with me and the Women's Cancer Alliance family at the New Jersey Nets game in the Meadowlands in New Jersey. We're going out to raise awareness about cancer, to celebrate women, to celebrate our bodies. So we just have a lot of good stuff happening. So for those of you that are uh, in this area, come on out, join us. You can go to my website, cybrown.com, and really see all of the wonderful things that are happening. I'm, I'm just excited to hang out with everybody every day. Let me see what's going on in the chat room. Don't forget the chat room is open. And the show can be listened to and downloaded through iTunes. Hello, RGW. How's my buddy today? I have um, another great talk for us by Tony Robbins uh, that we're going to listen to in a moment. So, yeah, I'm on my empowerment kick. What happens is, uh, you know, if you're my friend on Facebook or if you follow me on Twitter, um, the show really swings towards topics that are of interest to my audience. And, you know, I think we're really in need of um, some motivation right about now. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of things happening in our country, and uh, people just need to hear uh, a really good word on how to get their lives back on track without the criticism of others, and so that's really important. So I'm on a Tony Robbins kick right now, and wherever I am, I'm bringing my audience with me. I'm glad, RGW, that you're doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. I I always love your company in the morning. In the meantime, don't forget to download the show through iTunes, and let's get ready to listen to this wonderful talk by Tony Robbins. It's not that long, um, and it's called The Secrets of Power Negotiating, right here on the Cy Brown Morning Show. session we'll be talking about the three stages of every negotiation and also the ingredients that make you a good negotiator. The three stages may not be apparent to you. In this country we have a real desire to get to the bottom line, don't we? You know Americans are probably the best salespeople in the entire world. When you're at New Delhi Airport for example, which is the crossroads airport of the entire Asian continent, and you stand there and you see this long line of Boeing 747 airplanes coming down the runway, you know that Americans have to be the greatest airplane salespeople in the world. 
when you're in a country like Singapore and you see the entire budget of the nation being run on IBM computers, you know that American salespeople have to be the best computer salespeople in the world. And understand that Caterpillar tractors are used all over the world, even in Russia, for road building. So you know that we have to be the best equipment salespeople in the world. So we're good at what we do in negotiating business contracts. This was really highlighted to me recently when I took a tour of the United Nations building in New York. When the United Nations was established, it was agreed that the member nations would support the cost of the United Nations organization in relationship to their gross national product and their population. And a very wide range was established of support. But you know, we have one failing, and that is that we want to go to the bottom line too quickly. I really became aware of this when, as a real estate broker in California, president of one of the largest companies in California, we did a lot of business with Iranians. At the time of the fall of the Shah of Iran, it was not uncommon to find Iranians coming into this country with a million dollars in cash that they would invest in American real estate. And very often I would see our salespeople making gross errors of negotiation with these Iranians because they would take the typical American attitude that, well, let's get the business settled and we'll go out for a beer afterwards, whereas Iranians were taking a totally different approach. They knew that there were set stages that you need to go through in every negotiation. And it was appropriate to sit down and have some tea together and get to know each other well for maybe several hours before the topic of business would even be raised. So if we will learn these three stages of every negotiation and learn to work with them, we'll become much more effective. So let's learn these three stages of every negotiation now. This is something that Mayor Wilson Good of Philadelphia could really have benefited from. In May of 1985, he was called into a terrorist situation on Osage Avenue in Philadelphia. An upshot of the negotiations were that 53 homes were destroyed, 250 people were left homeless, and the 11 terrorists were left dead. This situation was of a special interest to me because not long before that, I had been hired by the mayors of California to teach them how to negotiate this kind of situation. There are 442 cities in California, and the mayors held a big conference in Monterey, California, and hired me to come and teach them how to negotiate. So I taught them that there are three stages of every negotiation. And I think the way that I explained it to them in terms of a terrorist situation will make it readily apparent to you what those three stages are and how you can apply them to any other negotiation. Let's suppose, I said to them, that you are the mayor of a small California city and you've been called into a terrorist situation downtown. There's a gunman holding a gun on a hostage in one of the buildings down there. Your police chief is a little to the right of Genghis Khan. He's in favor of blowing the whole place apart and killing everybody in sight. And you'd like to avoid that. Somebody hands you a bullhorn and says, okay, negotiate our way out of this. One of the mayors called out. He said, wait a minute. I only got elected by 47 votes. But in that situation, it would be fairly obvious what your first stage should be. Your first stage would be to establish criteria. Find out exactly what the other side wants to do. Even when you're fairly sure that you won't like what you're about to hear. Find out exactly what it is they want. In the terrorist situation, it might be five minutes on a local radio station. It might be a one-way ticket to Cuba. It might just be something that you can give them. Sometimes you're surprised when you narrow it down to find out exactly what it is that they want. 
I remember a situation many, many years ago when a large department store chain asked me to negotiate a situation where a couple had bought a Franklin stove through their catalog department, had installed the stove, and it had malfunctioned, blackening the entire outside of their house and pouring hot coals onto their living room carpet and burning a hole in the middle of it. This appeared to be such a major problem to this company that the complaint had gone through all the stages, from salesperson to store manager, store manager to district manager, district manager to regional manager. The regional vice president in charge of the seven western states now had this problem on his desk. In an attempt to negotiate this to avoid it going on to the head office in Chicago, he asked me to go and see what could be done to take pictures of the damage to assess an appropriate settlement. I went out there to this uh, little home out in the country and met with the owners of this home with two of the most charming elderly people I have ever met. I quickly ascertained that it was indeed the fault of the stove and not the way that they had installed it. They showed me the blackened outside of the house. They showed me the hole in the living room carpet. And the first thing I did was to establish criteria to try and find out exactly what it was they wanted to do. I assumed it was a question that had been asked them a dozen times before as this complaint had worked its way up through the levels of authority in the company. But to my amazement, when I said to them, well, what exactly is it you feel the company should do for you? They said, well, we can probably take care of the smoke on the outside of the house. We have plenty of time. We can clean that up. But we are concerned about the hole in the living room carpet. Well, what I repeated, do you feel the company should do about that? Well, we wouldn't expect you to buy a whole new carpet, they said. Uh, maybe if we had a scatter rug that we could put over the hole, that would be all right. I could hardly believe what I was hearing. I said, you mean to tell me that if we gave you a scatter rug to put over the hole, you'd be happy? Oh, yes, that would be fine, they said. So I put them in the car, drove them down to the local branch of the store, had them pick out a scatter rug, which was, I think, less than $50 at retail price, much less cost, had them sign a complete release, and send it in to the regional vice president of this company. And I got a letter back congratulating me on a masterful job of negotiating, which was nonsense. I was just the first person who would ask them exactly what they want to do. So that's always the first stage in any negotiation. In the terrorist situation, we ask them exactly what they expect us to do. Secondly, we create our criteria in their minds. We tell them exactly what we are prepared to do to ascertain how far we might be apart in the negotiations. Having established criteria so that each side understands exactly what the other side is initially willing to do, then we go to stage two, which is to get information. This is one of the most critical parts of any negotiating process, is to find out exactly all you can about the other side. We'll see in session seven how information is one of the critical elements of power. We'll see in session eight that is one of the three critical elements that always affects the outcome of negotiation. But here we see it's the second stage of every negotiation. Find out all you possibly can. Don't jump to conclusions at this stage. Ask for information. In the case of the terrorist situation, we'd want to know, is this person a member of an organized group? Have they ever followed through on this threat before? What religion are there? Is the minister or a priest that we can call in? Where is their family? Who can we bring in to help us with the situation? But get all the information you possibly can. As an employer, you may have a key employee who's about to quit. You would still go through these three stages. Number one, establish exactly what they intend and plan to do. What exactly would it take for them to stay with the company? 
Find out, even if you may not like what you're going to hear. And the second stage, get all the information you possibly can. And the more you probe for information, the more your things will come to the surface that affect the negotiations that you otherwise would not be aware of. This employee may be having marital problems that seem to demand to him that she should leave town. And really, the dissatisfaction with the job is not the key issue at all. Getting more information is critical to you, and it's the second stage of every negotiation. Only when you've completed these two stages do you then go to stage three, which is to reach for compromise. To start looking for things that they might see of value that you're willing to concede in the negotiation because they're not necessarily of value to you, and vice versa. Follow those three stages of negotiation. Practice in little areas, too. For example, my son used to come to me and say, Dad, could I borrow the car tonight? And I might immediately jump to the defensive. Without going through the stages, I'll say, No, son, I don't want you buying the car tonight. Uh, we can't have you buying the car every night. You've got homework to do and so on and so forth. If I'd have gone through the three stages, I would have said, Establish criteria, number one. Find out where he's going with the car. How long he's going to be. When will he be coming back? And then go to stage number two. Get all the information you possibly can. Who's he going to be with? If he's going to a movie, what movie is he going to see? And so on. And then three, reach for some kind of compromise that's acceptable to both of you. Such as, if you do your homework first, I'll let you go. Or possibly tomorrow night I'll let you go to the movie and I'll come with you. But before I went through the three stages, I would jump to a conclusion, a big argument would start, and then I would find out that he'd been asked by his mother to go down to the drugstore and pick up a prescription for her and the relationship would have been seriously weakened. What does it take to become a good negotiator? There are five things that I'd like to stress here. Number one, the understanding that negotiating is always a two-way affair. The pressure is always on the other person to compromise in the negotiations just as much as it is on you. For example, when you're walking into a bank to apply for a loan, you tend to get very intimidated. You tend to look at that big bank and you start thinking, why on earth would a big bank like this want to lend little old me money? And we immediately lose sight of the pressure that's on the other side, that this bank spends millions of dollars a year in advertising to try and entice us to come in for a loan. The many, many people who work there, their jobs are entirely dependent on the loan activity. So a good negotiator learns to mentally compensate for the fact that we always think we have the weaker side in the negotiations. And as he strides up to that loan officer's desk, he thinks to himself, I bet this loan officer just got a royal chewing out from his boss who told him, if you can't find somebody to lend money to today, we don't even need you around here anymore. One of the things that I recommend you do after taking this course is to go apply for an increase in pay. They've been underpaying you for years and you didn't understand it. And maybe a lack of negotiating caused you not to be able to get what you really deserve. Now, you'll be sitting there with your boss negotiating an increase in pay, and you'll automatically start thinking that you've got the weaker hand, that they don't need to compromise as badly as you do. You'll be thinking, boy, I hope this doesn't affect my career plan with this company. They've really been good to me over the years. Maybe I shouldn't push so hard. Do you know what your employer is sitting there thinking? They're thinking, I hope I don't lose them over this. They have done so well for us in all these years. They are so skilled at what they're doing. I have no idea why I'd ever find a replacement for them. You're both sitting there thinking that you have the weaker hand in the negotiation. And good negotiators learn to mentally compensate for that. Point number two that makes you a good negotiator 
is the desire to acquire the skills of negotiating. The understanding that negotiating isn't just for union negotiators and FBI agents and prison wardens. Everybody's negotiating all the time. And the desire to acquire the skills comes from the understanding of how effective this knowledge that we're teaching you now and the tactics that we'll be teaching you in sessions three and four and the personality styles and the power factors, how effective these can be when you're dealing with other people. Try them out. See how effective they are. Number three, the understanding of how these different principles work and how the gambits that we'll cover in session three and four affect the negotiations. Number four, is a willingness to practice. One of the fascinating things about learning how to negotiate is that you don't have to wait until you're in a heavy negotiating situation with thousands of dollars on the table before you work with these skills. Learn to practice in little areas, too. For example, I was recently hired to do a seminar in Atlanta at John Portman's Peachtree Hotel. It's a western hotel. It's a fabulous place. It's the tallest hotel in the country and possibly in the world, I think. It's 70 stories high. It's like a round, tall tower. There are only about 20 rooms on each floor. As I walked into the hotel, a room had been prearranged for me by the organization that had hired me, I was wondering what can I do to provide an illustration to the people who will be in the seminar tomorrow of how effective negotiating can be. And what I determined to do was see what I could do about negotiating down the price of the room. Now, rooms at the Petrie typically cost $135 and they had placed me in at a very good corporate rate, $75. But nevertheless, I determined to see what I could do. Ten minutes later, they had reduced the price of that room to $37.50 for me. I'd used the classic trade-off movement on them. They told me that they only had a twin-size room for me. Now, if they'd have said they only had a full-size room, I would have asked for a twin bed, you understand. It didn't matter what it was. But I said, I'm sorry, I... This room was booked a month ahead of time for me. I'm just not going to accept a twin-size room. The manager was bought out. He explained that they have 1,400 rooms in the hotel. 1,390 of them are already occupied. They only had 10 available, and I would have to settle for a twin-size room. So I used the trade-off technique. I said, well, I might be willing to settle for a twin-size room, but if I do that for you, what will you do for me? I thought possibly they might offer me a free breakfast or something like that. But to my amazement, he said, well, we might be able to adjust the price of the room a little bit. How would half price be for you? And I said, that would be just fine. Now, the interesting thing was that before they gave me the key to the room, they said, let me check just a moment. We may be able to do something more for you. And they made a telephone call, and they found out that they did indeed have a queen-size room available for me that had just been newly redecorated, and they were not sure whether it was being released yet for use. So I ended up getting a queen-size room, a $135 room, for only $37.50. This didn't benefit me, since the organization was paying for it, and they got the benefit of the reduction anyway. But the point is here that in little areas like this, you can learn to use these gambits to see how effective they can be. And that will be very, very useful for you when you get into large negotiations. In another instance recently, I was completing a seminar in Kansas City and flying back through Dallas to California. And another speaker at the seminar found that he was on the same flight as me and suggested we travel together. Well, in the taxi to the airport, 
I found out that I was traveling on a first-class ticket, and he had a coach ticket. So I determined to see if I could get him upgraded to first-class at no extra charge. Well, it took me 10 or 15 minutes to do it, which probably wasn't a particularly valuable investment of my time, but the thing is to get some practice in areas like this. I asked the young lady at the counter, and I told him I'd just run into this friend of mine, and I had a first-class ticket. Would they be nice enough to give him a courtesy upgrade? She said that she couldn't do it, uh, but that I should check with the gate agent and see if he could do it. So we talked to the gate agent. He said, no, there was absolutely no way that the company would let him do that. I said, well, what if I talk to the stewardess on the airplane? He said, well, I guess you could talk to her if you wanted to. So I got onto the plane, and I told the same story over again. I just met this person. I had a first class. He had a coach. Would she be willing to look the other way? Well, she said, well, I don't have the authority, but I'll check back with the gate agent, the person I'd previously spoken to. I invited my friend to sit next to me in first class while she went to check. She came back, and she said, that'll be fine. You're welcome to do that. The interesting thing was that in both of these negotiations, the other people were not hostile to the negotiation. They were happy to do this. They were happy to make that concession. In fact, when my friend left the plane in Dallas, the stewardess pressed two little bottles of Chevis Regal into his hand and said, please take these with our compliments. So that's one of the benchmarks of a good negotiation that we'll talk about in session 12, that you haven't completed a good negotiation if the other person resents what you accomplished. They must feel good about what was done. The fifth thing that makes you a win-win negotiator is the desire to create win-win solutions. After you've studied this course thoroughly and applied the techniques, you'll develop a power over people, a feeling of control in formally threatening situations that'll benefit you for a lifetime. Then it's up to you not to abuse that power, but only to use it when both people can benefit. In session three, we'll talk about the specific negotiating gambits that make negotiating such a fascinating art. Hey, um, Christine, I just see you put in the chat room who is just speaking. I'll get his exact name and shoot it over to you um, via Facebook uh, so that you have that um, information. Um, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of conversation in the chat room uh, while this was talking, RGW, I just found out one of my listeners was a Marine. That's that's pretty cool. Um, I love to hear that. But um, I was just sharing that um, that this is the stuff that I listen to in my car. This is the this is these are the tapes and the talks that I listen to in my car, like small business development, empowerment, and it's definitely not to slight. Um, the lessons that we hear for those of you that attend Sunday worship services, it's really meant to augment what we already know and just kind of expand, and that's what Tony Robbins was talking about yesterday, expand our circle of living and our circle of understanding. And, uh, you know, I put a comment that I, I don't listen to dumbing rap music or pop music in my car. I mean, it's not a slight. You guys and my listeners all know I love um music, I love hip-hop, and I'm really a fan of disco, and I'm sure they did a lot of drugs and stuff like that in the disco era, but um, I really use my time in my car as, um, it's like my little, uh, like, haven, you know, just, you, you just kind of listen to it and learn, 
And, it's, and we have to be really careful about the subliminal messages that we let into our psyche. And the car is one of the most damaging places that we can receive the wrong signal. The car and in our bedrooms, like if you have a TV on, I was listening to a pastor years ago that said, if you have a child and there's a TV in the child's room, take it out. And my children did not have a TV in their room for years because they leave the TV on, and these are the images and the things that they that they take into their head and and into their subconscious um, when they're going to sleep. And then when they wake up, it's the same thing. So I listen to tapes like this. I listen to talks all the time in my car. It's it's just really for me a really good way to get additional learning and additional knowledge and just really expand my knowledge base um, in a real simple way. It doesn't require any thought. It's just a matter of popping in a different CD um, as opposed to music. I just want to say bye to Celeste. Bye, Celeste. I'll see you in a couple of days. Curvy Queen in the chat room is coming to New York. I hope I didn't just put you on blast, but it's okay. You're hanging out with me at the New Jersey Nets game this weekend. So thank you for checking in with us and drive safely. Um, I see she just logged out of the chat room. Drive safely, and uh, I'll see you soon, sunshine. I'm happy to have her with me. She's been a listener from day one, as has Miss Pendleton, Sister Pendleton. But anyway, I digress. Um, just talking about the things that I listen to in my car, we just have to be really mindful because we can start to intake a, a lot of kooky stuff, stuff that's just really not good for us. I just want to give a quick programming note. Tomorrow we're talking real estate with Carl Agard. On Thursday, um, evangelist Nicole Simpson will be joining us on the show talking about her new book, Dare to Dream, so I'm really excited about that. And tonight, um, log on to Blog Talk Radio forward slash Edy Media. It's E-A-D-Y Media. Um, my buddy Derek Edy's show comes on. I have to catch his show sometimes through iTunes um, because it comes on at 11 o'clock Eastern Time. And I'm an early bird, but uh, please listen to his show. It's a great show, great topics. Um, and so check it out. I'm going to put it on the blog today. Also, DerekSybrownMorningShow.com, and it's also on Facebook, and I'm going to tweet about it. I'm really mindful and cautious what I tweet about and what I share on Facebook um, because the people that follow me trust me, but definitely listen to Derek's show, really good show about great topics. Um, yeah, RGW just put his website was very helpful. Good. I'm glad. Oh, you're talking about Carl Agard tomorrow for real estate, right? Yeah, I think you're talking about Carl Agard. I'll let Carl know. I'm going to talk to him later on today um, about that. So anyway, um, and also Sister Pembleton, who's in the chat room, she has a new book that's coming out. If you can, my sunshine, shoot me a link so we can I can put that on the Side Brown Morning Show blog. Yeah, RGW, I figured it was Carl's. Yeah, just let him know tomorrow. He'll be here tomorrow. He tunes in about 9.15 um, and, and joins me for the second half of the show, so I'm really excited. But, again, check out Derek tonight, blog talk radio forward slash ED Media, and I'll see everybody tomorrow at 12 noon. Always remember that we shall pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that we can do or any kindness that we can show to any human being, let us do it now. Let us not defer or neglect it, but we shall not pass this way again. I just want to also give a big shout-out to my listener who's listening in from the Atlanta area, caller from 770. So thank you very much for tuning into the Cyber Brown Morning Show. I love you all, and I'll see you tomorrow. Peace.